Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey guys, it's the Wolf here. Today on the show, we have Lucas Mitchell, and he has one of the crazier success stories I've heard of in the franchise world. Lucas dropped out of college after two years to go all in on his web design business. To make ends meet, he worked at a local Five Guys. And despite that not being his focus, he worked his way up to managing eight restaurants. After realizing what he could be making as the owner instead of manager, he decided to flip the script and go all in on Five Guys instead of his web design business. While he didn't have enough money on his own to purchase a single location, with some incredible resourcefulness, he was able to put the funds together and transition to ownership. Just five years later, at the time of this recording, he now owns 13 Five Guys locations and counting. Lucas offers us a lot to learn when it comes to the best ways to finance franchises, the differences between being a manager and owner, and how to grow your franchise empire. I hope you enjoy. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. One of the big reasons I started this podcast is to teach people that franchise ownership isn't just for the ultra-wealthy. And one of the tools that makes that possible is Franchairs. With Franchairs, you can invest anywhere between $500 and $500,000 and let the passive income roll in. Be the first to get access by adding your name to the waitlist today at Franchairs.com. Lucas, I think a good place to start would be just a little bit of your story. You know, what, what were you doing before Five Guys? Yeah, so I've always been an entrepreneur. You know, the nine-year-old mowing lawns, taking flies around, hiring my friend to mow lawns when I went on vacation, <clears throat> that kind of thing. And then I kind of lost that entrepreneurial spirit through high school, ended up going to college, uh, started doing website design with my brother in college, uh, brought on a few clients and decided I wanted to do that as a business. Also decided at that time college wasn't for me. So I dropped out of college after two years, went back to Nevada from school where my brother was and we tried to make a run at the website design business and started working at Five Guys uh, basically for just side income to support my my entrepreneurial dreams. That, that's, that was uh, 2010, 2011, somewhere in there. Okay. And what, what drew you to the web design business? Uh, I thought it was interesting. Like, I don't know, I'm, I'm really good with people too. So like more so than myself, being a web developer, I can write a little bit of code and I have some like, design and user interface experience. But aside from from that, I just am really good at people and my brother was really good at it. So I saw a way to like capitalize on his expertise and build a business out of it. Whereas he's the type that probably would never start a business. He's like very much like a tactician, you know, a doer. Okay, gotcha. So, I mean, obviously like five guys and web design, very different businesses <laughs> what was the moment if you remember it where you were running a five guys and you said you know what i want to own one of these yeah well i think like back up a little further than that when i was in late junior high 
early high school, like freshman, maybe sophomore, my parents owned a small restaurant, like a local ice cream parlor and like short order grill restaurant in a really small town with a thousand people. And so starting in high school, I was like working in that restaurant was leading the team of people closing down the restaurant by myself. So like I had a little bit of restaurant experience for a couple of years. Okay. So when I went back to, and I needed to get a job, the restaurant industry seemed like a good place to start because I had experience there. I'd also worked and ran some frozen yogurt shops back in the heyday of frozen yogurt. Um, so I had like a little bit of a little bit of food service experience. So that just seemed like a natural fit. So that's why I ended up going to Five Guys to get a job. Kind of the contrast from website designs. I need, I wanted something easy that I didn't have to put a lot of effort into. Yeah. And then as I was working there, I worked my way up through the ladder really quick, and they kept wanting me to be a general manager, and I was like. I have my own business. I have no interest in being a general manager, blah, blah, blah. Eventually they made the offer to where it was hard for me to refuse. And okay. then they wanted me to end up running the area and running all eight restaurants that they had. It was actually nine at the time. They have eight now, but nine at the time. So I, I started at that point, I think it was when they were basically begging me to run all of the restaurants. And I was saying no, that I was kind of like, maybe there's something here. Like maybe I could do this for myself. And that's kind of where the interest started. How much like interaction did you have with the owner of those eight restaurants? Like just a little more context. Once I started on the area, I did that for, you know, a while before I did my own thing. Yeah. So there was two different ownership groups. So I went through a sale uh, while I was running the area for somebody else. The first ownership group, I'd say I had a lot of interaction with them, but they had zero restaurant experience. So they were really, really leaning heavily on me to do like all of the restaurant side of it, basically. And then the second ownership group, they had more restaurant experience, but they also had a lot more restaurants. So they really didn't want to be involved. So I had less interaction with them. So I I didn't get a ton of exposure to the business side above like running the restaurants, but I, I ran them all like I was responsible for all the cogs, labor, everything basically from financing the deal that was like the threshold, right? Like above that, I didn't do anything below that. I did pretty much everything. Yeah. So, you know, you, you pretty much got all the experience you needed from a operation standpoint. You knew how to yeah. run multiple five guys inside and out. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part. And so whenever you do decide, you know what, that, like I'm not running these restaurants forever. I'm going to be the owner of them. What was your first course of action? So the first thing I did was like, I didn't have any money at the time. I was kind of dabbling and like interested in real estate investing. So I had done some real estate investing seminars, had kind of built up my network and gone through the process like, well, where can I get private money? Made some connections, like done kind of that due diligence. Cool. So I was like, well, maybe I can apply this to finance or to franchising, right? Like maybe the same concept that I've learned about in real estate will be easier for me in franchising because I have the operational experience. So I drew that correlation. So first on my list was like, well, I got to find a deal. I can't raise money if I don't find a deal. That, that was where I started. Sure. And a little bit of context about Five Guys too. The United States, as far as territory is, goes, has been sold out for years. Yep. So the only way into the system is to buy from an existing owner. And it, let's say, theoretically, if you could have done a, a new build, right, where you're, there's vacant territory and you get to build them from scratch... Would you have done that or would you have, just because of the real estate correlation you brought up, would you have preferred an acquisition anyway? I don't know. I don't, I have a really hard time thinking, and I know enough about, I knew about enough about the restaurant industry to think I could make a real living, like starting with unit one. 
And I just felt like it would be easier to skip that process. <laughs> like, just go big. Okay. And, and I would guess, right, your your management experience probably gave you some confidence where if you're coming in new to a system, maybe it's a different story. But you, you were already operationally were running eight, five guys. So, you know, you didn't need much of a learning curve on that front. Exactly. Yeah. And now, like, I look at it a little different. Like, I've looked at other brands and like, well, maybe we start with one or maybe we do like a three unit development agreement and see how it goes and build a team. But now I have a lot of infrastructure, right? So I don't necessarily have to be the one in the restaurant starting with unit one. And I'm learning more about the concept and less about the business. So I look at it a little differently now, but I still, I still love the model of buy cash flow, use the cash flow to develop and grow the business. And, and so you start searching the country, you know, what'd you find and, and where did you ultimately land with a deal and getting it done? I had a really good reputation with five guys. We ran really good restaurants. They loved the, the results that we got and kind of like, you know, understanding the franchisor and what is important to them and figuring out how to balance that with having a business is super important because, you know, that can be your best source of deals is actually through your relationships with the franchisor. So I had a really good reputation with them. I let somebody know that I was somebody I had confidence in that wasn't going to share the information with everybody, know that I was interested in buying. And they gave me the list of some people who they thought might be interested in selling. And I just started calling them. And what does that relationship look like with the franchisor, you know, from just being the, the manager of a territory, essentially, you know, like, are you on the phone with them every day? You know, how, how does that work? I think it depends on the concept with five guys specifically, you know, they're, they're pretty hands-on, I would say um, a little less now than they used to be as they've gotten a little bit bigger, but I'd say I was the liaison between the corporation for the most part, as far as our performance. So I talked to them at least a few times a week, probably. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. definitely always varies by brand, like you said, and even you kind of intimated, right. The, what stage of the growth they're at. You know, if it's a yeah. newer franchise, I'm sure the franchisors, most, at least the good ones should be hands-on with all their franchisees if they're, you know, only in their first 10 to 50 units, but things definitely change as, as the system grows. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I started calling them and I found a guy um, in Arizona who had interest in selling. He kind of played the card that I'm not in a rush to sell, but yeah, I'm interested in exploring that. And I was up front with him, said, hey, I'm running it for somebody else. I don't have the capital, but I have a lot of confidence I can raise the capital. If you'll be patient with me, then we can work out, you know, a fair market deal and everybody wins. And I won't try to like nickel and dime you for every penny. It's kind of like our handshake agreement in principle. Beautiful. Okay. So so he said, I'll give you the time to to raise your money and then you come back to me and, you know, I'm not going to, he's not going to try to highball you on a price because he's looking to get out. So it's a win-win. Yeah. And and I knew enough, like I had done, I guess there was definitely an education point in there where like I had other contacts I had met in the franchising space and I had done some of my research to know kind of how I should value this business a little bit. So I knew I wasn't going to get like completely taken advantage of by using that strategy because I knew what the number should be. I wanted him to know that like, if you'll be patient with me, the key was like, I knew it was going to take me some time to put money together and I didn't want him to go sell to somebody else. So I wanted to make sure he knew he was going to get fair market, probably a little bit more than what he would get from somebody else who is, 
has the cash ready to to put in a deal right now. And it just, yeah, it worked. All right. So you kind of have that handshake agreement. How were you trying to finance this? And did you execute according to plan? My first plan was go to all my real estate buddies and raise money from them. And I found out really quick, like, I did not know near enough about owning a business to raise money from real estate investors. And I started to feel a little bit like an idiot <laughs> the more I would talk to them about <laughs> it. But it was, it was like a huge educational process, right? I looked at how they evaluate investments and what investors are looking for and what's a good rate of return to get yeah. private investment. And I was able to like learn a lot about stuff. And I also pulled some of my colleagues in the franchising space and I was like, hey, you guys are raising money for deals like how are you paying your investors? How are you structuring your deals, et cetera? So my point, my my plan literally was not a plan. It's like, I'm just going to, I had a friend who had, who was in finance and knew numbers. And I was like, hey, let's put together a performa of what I think these restaurants can do. And yep. here's how I'm going to pay the investors back. And let's go try to raise money. And that, that was the plan. Beautiful. And I think, I think a good question here was just, uh, you know, like, were you, were you trying to do this all through, equity you know like just giving up equity or or were you gonna tap some debt as well i honestly had no idea if i was gonna need debt or all equity i think i kind of approached it at the beginning of just like i'm gonna raise all equity didn't really even know debt was was an option kind of at the time again this took me you know 12 months basically to pull this off of nonstop work and i learned a lot along the way so initially yeah i was like let's just raise the money and go buy it and didn't even know debt was an option. And it wasn't until I couldn't raise nearly as much money as I thought I could that I had to figure out how to utilize debt. Yeah. And so after the fact, what was the split between, you know, how much you raised and and generally how much debt you took on? And like, I guess the kind of dichotomy between those two things, right? You know? Yeah. So at the end of the day, I was able to raise about 25% plus some working capital in equity and I coupled the rest with an SBA loan. Wow. Okay. And that's for five existing five guys. Locations. Five existing restaurants. Yeah. And, and yeah. Generally... So all in it was about all yeah. in it. All in it was thing was like a it was like seven hundred fifty thousand of equity, and the rest was debt, something like that. Okay. So yeah, that's not a small amount. And how was the the debt raising process? You know, some people have nightmares, experiences. <laughs> Others say it was uh, you know once you have a relationship with a lender, it can be pretty much smooth but for you for me it was a nightmare but i went with a large bank and i think that was the biggest problem is like i didn't work with somebody who specialized in financing sba loans and franchising and the banks have a certain way of like not all banks but some banks i've found have a certain way of like getting you far enough in the process to where you feel like you're going to lose the deal before all this stuff starts to happen that like <laughs> you have to work through all the problems, right. Or like terms change or whatever. And so like you get so far down, I think I was probably like three or four months into the lending process. And I, I thought it was going to be closed in a 90 to 120 days. So I had already quit my job. Oh boy. And, yeah. and then all of a sudden it's like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be like a seven or eight or nine month process. Cause this bank has no idea what they're doing but you feel kind of stuck there at that point. You know, like I didn't know what else to do other than to try to just get the thing done. Yeah. You're like, you're, you're in too deep to turn back at that point. Yeah. It's like, then I start the process over and how do I know that anyone else is going to be any better? 
yeah, than yeah. what I'm experiencing here. Now I know better, but at that point I didn't. So yeah, if you're starting over again, you're going to a bank that's possibly smaller than one of like the the bulge bracket ones, but at least they have a specialization in franchise financing. Yeah, I've heard good things, you know, just a little tip for the readers. I've heard good things about Stern's Bank for SBA loans with uh, fr- franchises. I've also heard good things about Live Oak. Yeah, um, I think Live Oak has a pretty cool product, too, where they can do like a hybrid between SBA and, and conventional. Had a few conversations with them. Haven't actually done a deal with them yet, but I've heard good things in the SBA space. Yeah, no, I think uh, Live Oak, definitely, uh, I've heard similar sentiments from other franchise owners. All right. So you figure it out. Uh, it sounds like the equity, you know, didn't go as well as you thought it would. You thought you could raise more. And then uh, like a lot of people, financing was a pain, but you got it done. I mean, could you just kind of explain what, what is it like once the process is done and you are now the owner of five, five guys, like does the other owner just, does he just hand you the keys and say, all right, good luck. <laughs> I mean, I guess to an extent, like we had an agreement worked out where he was going to help us along the way. And we kind of knew there would be like exchanging of bills that go to the wrong company because it was an asset purchase, right? We didn't actually, I didn't purchase the entities. So we knew there was going to be like some exchanging of bills and different stuff with landlords and whatever else along the way that we'd have to do. But as far as like running the restaurants, if I had questions come up, like, hey, who did you use for this person? Or I can't get into the security cameras over here. Like there was little stuff along the way that helped, but largely it's like, all right, we closed, we shake hands and here you go. Yeah, so there's some transitionary details that you stay in touch for, but for the most part, it is a clean break, it sounds like. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and we had done a little stuff like a couple weeks out before closing where like I had been able to get on and... These restaurants that I bought at the time were all remote. They were all like widespread distance from each other. So I was able to like, as due diligence, part of due diligence, I had gone to every restaurant and checked out the equipment and checked out all the restaurants and how they're running and whatever else. But I was able to like meet all the managers a couple weeks before closing and it started kind of like getting a little bit more insight into the business a couple weeks before we closed when we were like, we had a firm closing date and we knew it was going to happen. But other than that, I was like, okay, first thing on my list was like, go to every restaurant, just start meeting. Who do we have on our team? Basically get to know everybody. And we essentially acquired 80, 85 to 90 employees. That's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of relationships. And I know you can only speak to your specific experience, but would you recommend that if someone's going to buy a franchise, they have that hands-on experience within the system already? Because I'm just thinking about it and the advantages you have to check out the equipment, know what, what that means. It, you know, is it good equipment? Is it uh, subpar? Uh, does it need to be upgraded? You know, just looking at the restaurants and how it's run, you have so much knowledge of if they're doing things the way that you would approve of. So yeah, do, do you think that's a almost a prerequisite, you know, a prerequisite? Because there's so many people I know who they go from corporate America and it's a, it's a totally new arena for them to operate in. It depends on the person. Probably if you're... If you're going to put your life savings into something, I feel like you should really be willing to get your hands dirty and maybe you do go get a job at one, like trying to figure some stuff out ahead of time. Probably not a bad plan. If you're going to buy a single unit and you know you're going to spend a lot of time or build one and you know you're going to spend a lot of time in it anyway, 
like not a big deal. But yeah, if you're going to go out and buy five, you should either have the means to bring in somebody who is an expert to help you through that due diligence process, or you should have the experience yourself. I completely agree. Just, it's just too much unknowns. You know, even if the, uh, even if the numbers are good, right? It's just, you're going to inherit a headache that you might mess up if you don't bring in that expert to help out. So, yeah. And as I've looked at other deals too, like in, in other brands, no, having all the restaurant background and knowing like, you know, I'm going to manage the team the same way and we're going to run the same systems and the same payroll company and the leadership's going to be similar, you know, regardless of what the restaurant is then that part of the diligence process is a little bit easier, but still like talking to franchisees in the other concept and like figuring out, okay, like what can you actually run labor at? Not just what this guy's running labor at, but like what's, what's realistic, what's realistic food costs for the brand. You know, what should I expect as far as GNA or like what are typical repair and maintenance expenses? Cause those are all brand, very brand specific, right? I could go in the restaurants and meet the people and, look at the equipment and get a pretty good sense in any brand of if the restaurants are well-maintained or not. But I don't know a lot about the, the actual, what I'm looking for in the financial reports other than what the brand will tell me, unless I'm talking to other franchisees or lenders like lending relationships can be great in that sense too, because a lot of lenders will have insight into a bunch of different brands. Um, So you'll share that. Yeah. I mean, if you build the right relationships, like it's all about relationships. Like I have a bunch of lenders who are, who I would consider friends. And so we share stuff and bounce stuff off each other all the time. And I, I know how they underwrite deals and I know how they look at different aspects of the business. Um, So pulling on those relationships can be valuable. I'm a huge fan of the team over at Franchairs and what they're building. They're making it easier for you to earn passive income, hedge against inflation, and diversify your portfolio with their franchise platform. Invest anywhere from $500 to $500,000 and leave the rest to the franchise team who will carefully build, manage, and grow your franchise portfolio. You'll receive a check through the door each month, plus a lump sum when the portfolio sells. With targeted returns between 16 and 21.86%, you'll be joining thousands of investors. Go check them out to start passively investing in franchises at franchares.com. It's all about the relationships and just thinking about the the GNA and sort of your own corporate structure within your five, five guys. Did you take what you learned from managing eight restaurants and apply it to that? Did you already kind of know the hierarchical setup for the employees or did you have to go in and figure it out? Uh, I'm, pretty much new. I just took what I was doing for somebody else and, and for the most part replicated into this. The other thing that's cool about acquiring too, is like, there are good things you can learn from acquiring new businesses. Like I learned a lot through buying these five restaurants too. And I did some things differently than when I was just running the other restaurants because some of the processes that they were already used to using and some of like their structure was actually better than what I had done before. So like I learned a few things too, in addition to bringing my own stuff to the table, I kind of knew how I wanted to run it. And then I served as the operator of those five restaurants completely. Like I was me and then the GMs. I was managing the GMs and they were managing their employees. I had a restaurant manager in each store. Okay. Yeah. Let's dive into that. Cause I think, you know, people hear about all these owners who have tons of stores in your case, you know, now 13, which we'll get to, but I think the question is how, how do you even how do you run that organization? So 
it sounds like on a store level, you have a GM for each store and you're just managing the five GMs? At that point, yes. Okay. And because I was rural and my locations were so spread out, I was really focused on just having the best restaurant managers I could. Yeah. And at a certain point, when does that change where you have too many GMs to manage and maybe you have another layer where let's call it area director. I think it's the term you may be. Yeah. Yeah. Area manager, area director. That was when I started looking to buy more restaurants and I needed more time. So I was kind of able, I, I built up really good restaurant managers at the time. So I was kind of able to make that transition a little easier to where I didn't have to really step out of day-to-day operations until I was finishing the acquisition of the new restaurants. I think it really depends more on priorities, more so than growth or more so than like number of managers. Like I could probably manage all of my restaurants right now as the sole operator or maybe with one other person, but I have two just because I choose to like focus on the growth of the company. That makes sense. I would say in my experience, a good multi-unit manager who's going to be hands-on and spend enough time with the team can run, you know, no more than eight restaurants by themselves. Like once you get more than eight general managers to manage, it starts to become too much for one person to manage. What does your day look like? Just an average day? Are you going to each store and and sitting with (laughs) each of them? Is there a zoom call? You know, how how does that work? So I'm trying to like, just, I think what a lot of people want to know probably is like, if I'm you, Lucas, you know, like, what does my life look like as the owner of five, five guys with those managers? Yeah. And when I was serving as the operator, my day was in the especially because they were spread out. It was 12 hour days, lots of driving. I think I put 40,000 miles on my car the first year, lots of time in the, in the restaurant with the managers, turned over a couple managers, hired better managers. Most of my focus was on training those restaurant managers to be the absolute best restaurant managers in the company. I knew that 40,000 miles a year on my car wasn't sustainable. And the only way to not do that was to have really, really awesome restaurant managers. So that's what my day looked like. It was, and and we did, we had a, like a zoom call once a week where we reviewed our KPIs from the week before and, you know, had our targets and how are we doing against target? And we looked at our cost of goods and, and all that stuff on a weekly basis. But other than that, my time was spent in the restaurants with the managers. And then when I got home at night, like <laughs> keeping up on the bookkeeping and making sure our books were right and, handling any HR issues that came up and whatever else had to be done, which so, is a whole nother conversation, right? The business side of, of business. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of what you get as an owner. You got to have the ops figured out, but then there's all, you know, like you said, the business side that comes with it. So, but as far as just making sure like the, the training of the, the restaurant managers, you're setting the groundwork there and you did set the groundwork there to, be able to scare yourself out of that a bit, right? And, and yep. even just giving those restaurant managers a lot of FaceTime, I think, is a big value add. So you're not just that mythical owner that's absentee and, and nobody sees them and they have no connection to, to their work if you yep. do that. Yeah, a lot of FaceTime, a lot of training. And then, you know, yeah, setting that groundwork so that eventually I could kind of pull myself out and it wasn't taking so much of my time. So I'd say like starting in the second year, maybe two years, the 12 months, 18 months is where I started being able to like, I would still go to the restaurants, but I wasn't hitting 
you know, at that point, I wasn't hitting every restaurant every week. And again, I've got, you know, four hours in between some of those restaurants. So I wasn't hitting every single restaurant every week. I was hitting them maybe every other week and kind of started to pull myself out of of the day-to-day a little bit. And so fast forward to uh, just today on those first five restaurants that you acquired. It's been about five years, right, since the acquisition? Yep. And we don't have to talk specifics, but just on a as far as debt servicing, which just for anyone who doesn't know what that is, just, just paying off the debts from the loans that you took to acquire those businesses. You know, what was your schedule? Generally, how, how far are you to being free of that? You know, and the point here is to understand to do this kind of what is what is the mindset and the time horizon that someone should be going into this with? The first loan was 10 year, it was SBA, so it was 10 year term, 10 year amortization. And I would say we'd be about halfway done right now on schedule, except for I chose not to pay it off and I chose to refinance to buy more restaurants. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. So, that le- yeah. right. so it took on more debt. Yeah. So, all right. That leads us to you own 13 restaurants. How'd you get from yep. five to 13? Uh, Off market deal in the system. I guess it was technically uh, listed with a, a uh, investment bank group that doesn't do a lot of franchise stuff, but they did wealth management for the owners of the eight restaurants. And they were just looking for franchisees internally inside of the five guys system. So that's how I got that deal in front of me. And so it was in network. And then, yeah, looked at the deal. I had looked at some other stuff. Like I looked at some Popeyes and some other brands. Okay. It's kind of like looking around, but this one came up across and looked at it and said, Hey, this would be, more than double our size in one transaction and let's, let's and you, do it. You know the business already. So yeah. Know the business already. Yep. But it's not within Arizona, right? It's totally no, it's in, yeah, it's in California. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, totally different market. Based on what we learned from your first five, where you're spending quite a bit of time in year one in that system with the GMs or sorry, the restaurant managers, did you spend some in-market time? in uh, California for those next oh, yeah. locations. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that like with, especially within the first six months or so, you know, 70, I think the first year, maybe it was like 75 or 80 hotel nights up there. Just, just Damn. in California, not including any of the visits I did in Arizona. Uh, Cause I still wanted to keep FaceTime there. Right. But I, at that point I hired an area manager to run Arizona. the Arizona stores. Yep. And it was someone that I had worked with for a long time, like knew him in the restaurant business for, you know, we had worked together probably seven years or something like that. And you're doing all this, right? While, you know, you have a family at home, correct? Yeah. So it's kind of funny. There's just little, I think I've heard business owners say that every time something in their life happens, it all happens at once. So for me, when I bought the first five restaurants, sold my house in Nevada, moved to Arizona, and had a kid like and closed on the restaurants all within like three months of each other. So it's like had had my first. So when I bought the Arizona restaurants, my daughter, I closed on the restaurants in July and my daughter had been born in March. So she was like brand new baby. Uh, And I was like, (laughs) brand new baby, brand new business. Yeah. So fast forward two years later, I bought the restaurants in California I closed on those in November and my daughter was born in July. So she was like 
five months old at that point, my second daughter. So I had a two-year-old and a second daughter and the most amazing wife in the world. And I bought the other restaurants. <laughs> I think I think there's a correlation here, man. You got to have more kids and new deals are going to pop up within five guys. <laughs> I keep joking about that with my wife. She's not like necessarily in agreement with that, like as being our process forever, but it's worked out yeah. so far. That's hilarious. <laughs> and so at any moment though, right, there's a geographical challenge there from an operations yep. perspective and that you're, you live in one place and you have to take a, go on a plane to get to your other eight, five guys locations. So was there any moment after that acquisition of, of the California five guys where you kind of had like an, Oh, Oh shit moment. Like this was a mistake or for the most part, it's, you knew what you were signing up for. I knew what I was signing up for full confidence. I know now too, like my wife and I talk about this sometimes. I'm like, it's 12 months of really hard work. And then we can get it to the point where largely somebody else can do most of the work. And in this case, it was like, instead of, I did have a lot of FaceTime with the GMs, but in this case, it was more, I had an area manager there. Fortunately, one of the people that we brought on through the acquisition that transferred to us worked out to be a really good area manager. Otherwise, you know, maybe we would have had some more issues, but I had a pretty good sense before we closed on the deal that he was going to be really good. I had spent some time with him, had ridden around with him and seen the restaurants. And I had a pretty good sense he was going to be good. So in this case, instead of me focusing so much of my time on the restaurant managers, I was focusing most of my time on making that area manager the best area manager he could be so that he could run the area. And that's where most of my time was spent. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just thinking through this and the evolution is is pretty textbook. If I can, you know, I mean, you started as a manager you learn the operations, then you acquire five locations, which from an ops perspective was well within the realm of what you were already capable of because you were already doing it. And so you, you took that first few years there to learn the business side and the nuances there. But then you're, you're kind of ready to go and, and to start acquiring more. So if you have one, what's the long-term plan? So I have a goal to provide jobs that will pay a good lifestyle for a hundred families. And so I view that in the restaurant space. It's like you have one area manager per call it six to eight locations, which is that's a job that can support a family really well. And then we pay our restaurant managers well too. So most of our restaurant managers can also support their families, you know, depending on their lifestyle. Some of them choose to have their spouses work, but they could on their income alone uh, support their families so I view that as, you know, 80 to 100 restaurants. And we'll see what happens after that. That's a big number. I love the ambition, though. Let's say someone's listening to this and to them, that's maybe out of reach or they don't want that uh, for whatever reason. You know, let's go back to your, your five locations. I think that's a good number because with a lot of franchises, especially, you know, we're talking brick and mortar uh, retail franchises. If you have five of any of, of a lot of them, you're going to be doing decent and possibly very well. So mm -hmm. let's say you, you stopped there and you were happy from a financial perspective and the impact you were having on your community and all that with just your original five. What does it look like with the debt at this point? And again, it doesn't have to be specific to you, but just from your knowledge of the five guys system, how much could someone potentially be making on, on a per location basis? 
it depends on geographic location, obviously, like rent's a big factor in your bottom line. But I'd say if we're looking at an average unit, you know, you're probably making 15% store level margins uh, managed. So that's with a man- general manager running the restaurant most of the time. And, you know, if average unit volume out of five guys is about, it's, it's gone up so much in the past few years. Um, but I'd say it's like one and a half million, probably something like that. So you can make a couple hundred thousand dollars managed in a t- traditional location. Okay. So f- five locations then, I mean, that is, that's a very, I didn't realize it was that high for five guys, but so yeah. you're high, you're high six figures at five stores you know, w- once you clear all your debt and, and whatever else is out there. Yeah. And obviously I have investors, right? So there's that money is being spread amongst uh, different people after the debt service, but but yeah, if you're if you buy it with debt, you can figure, you know, mm-hmm. your debt's going to cost you hopefully not half of the income, but you know, your debt service is going to be a third, uh, maybe a little bit more of what the total income is. So, yeah, that's that's how the math works. That's great insight. And what yeah, what would you say is the timeline someone should come in into this with if they're going to say, I want to build five, own five. And at some point I'm going to look for the exit, like the owner that you bought from. Yeah. You know, is it 10 years? Is it a 15 year journey? And obviously sometimes things happen, you know, that could delay, you know, cause problems, et cetera. But you know, how long-term do people need to think if they're going to try to get into this multi-unit franchise ownership game? really depends on a couple of factors. Geography is a big part of it. Franchisor is a big part of it because again, the franchisor is incentivized to develop units, right? So they're always going to be like, you're going to get that little, if you're an acquisitions guy like me, you're going to get that tap on the shoulder. Like, Hey, you got to build some restaurants, (laughs) which we're doing right now. But if you're coming in straight as a new franchisee and you're developing, the timeline is going to be pre-negotiated. If you're buying them one at a time, you'll have a time you have to execute within to open the first location. If you're buying like a three or five unit development package, there's going to be an expectation for when you build, you know, when you get to those certain thresholds. But I would say a new franchisee, you know, I would be very cautious doing more than one restaurant a year, especially if you're brand new to it. You know, anything more aggressive than that is you got to give time for that first location to get a foothold and like get a handle on the operations. I've seen guys come in and put up five units really fast and they end up having problems because they cannibalize the marketplace or they didn't just give time for, for the new restaurant to settle in before they built another one or, or whatever. So I'd say one a year is realistic. So five restaurants, maybe you're on a five year journey. Uh, the guy I bought from, I think he was in, he had been in for six or seven years. That's how long it took him okay. to build the fi- And then he hadn't built anything in like a year. So he was probably about five years, about one a year. Yeah. And I mean, if we just use the numbers and this is why I like picking the right brand. I mean, that's just the biggest determining factor in anyone's success in this game. So five guys, well done. A great brand, you know, tons of longevity there. But I mean, you can see where. You build up the five locations, you're making great money at that point, and you can live off of it, you know, for as long as you want, or, and at a certain point, hopefully you, you get an acquisition and you're sitting on an even bigger pile of yeah. money. Well, and you know, the other way to look at it too, is like when you develop, as long as you build restaurants that generate enough income, 
you can sell those for way more than it costs to build them, right? Like at the time this guy was building, restaurants were costing four to five hundred thousand to build. Now it's going to cost six to seven hundred thousand just with the increased costs. But if you think about how franchises are valued on a multiple of EBITDA, five guys, you know, I don't know what it's trading at for today. When I was acquiring, was trading between four and five times EBITDA. So if it costs you five hundred thousand dollars to build and you're generating one hundred fifty to two hundred thousand dollars in EBITDA, you're instant equity, right? So if you build them all, that's the risk with building though, is that they all come out of the ground doing the income they need to do to have the equity built in. But if you build them all, then you could turn around after you build the five and slap some debt on it and pull out a bunch of money tax-free on the debt side, you don't even need to sell them. Like your exit is putting debt on them and then having cash liquidity to work with to either build more, pay yourself and live off it or whatever you want to do. Uh, Then there's options or you can just live off the cash flow forever, right? So liquidity event doesn't necessarily have to be a sale. Yeah, no, that's incredibly true. And I feel like I talk about this with every guest is the optionality that just being the owner you know, what that brings you, whether it's live off the cash flow, sell some type of refinance play. That's what you want is just to be in a position where you have the optionality, which as a W2 or in other situations, career wise, you typically don't don't get those options. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, this has been a great conversation. I think my last question, and I try to ask folks this, if you could own one brand, this is, forget financials, forget everything, just one franchise out there that you think would be fun to own, what would it be? There's a, uh, I can't remember what it's called, you might know, one of my friends pitched me the the idea, there's a franchise out there that's a gym focused on basketball. There's someone on Twitter who, who I think he's the founder of a similar, I don't know if it's a franchise, he, his might be a, like a chain, I, but. I will I, look it up. Okay. I'll look it up and flip it to you for the show notes or whatever. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. You're it's a basketball like so fan? niche that I, I grew up playing basketball. I love basketball. So I'm like, yeah, owning a gym completely focused on basketball, that'd be super fun. Yeah, that's cool. I love that. <laughs> I, I think, I, yeah, right? Like it's, they just integrate basketball into all the workouts to make it more fun, right? And I, I think you, you can play games, obviously, too, like, you know, three on three or whatever. But uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder if we're talking about the same one. But um, yeah, we'll link to that in the show notes for sure. But all right, man. Well, hey, th- this has been awesome. I, I think people are going to get a ton out of this and just hearing your insights from manager to owner to multi-unit owner. Uh, if people want to reach out to you, you know, where where can they find you on the internet? Al Mitchell, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-H-Q is my handle on Twitter, Instagram, I think Facebook too. Yeah, reach out to me. Cool. that way that's the best yeah. way yeah and we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes as well uh just to at least on twitter because we're, we're big twitter people here at wolf hq um so i'm becoming right, more and more that yeah. way I, I, I love twitter's it, yeah. the best i highly recommend it to anyone twitter is what linkedin wishes they could have been uh is the Very way cool. i look at it so all right man well uh we'll catch up soon and thanks again for coming on cool thanks thanks for having me Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen.